Hello and welcome to Sound Salad, where we toss around all things spoken and all things heard. Brought to you by Audiobooks New Zealand, New Zealand's leading producer of audio content. We hope that you will have a pleasant journey, and if we can add to your comfort in any way, please do not hesitate to press the call bell. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our next episode of Sound Salad. So for episode four, we are tossing it with the esteemed nonfiction and children's fiction writer, Karen McMillan. So having published in nine countries, she has a number of titles under her belt already, I think almost 20, if my research serves me correctly, uh, not to mention her Elastic Island series for younger readers, which is comprised of six titles, all set to be released as audiobooks, I believe, with the first coming out this month, narrated by beloved children's entertainer Susie Cato, who wasn't able to be with us today, but never mind, we'll, we'll, we'll have a gas bag with her at another point. Without further ado, let me introduce to you Karen McMillan. How are you, Karen? I'm really good. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to have a bit of a chit-chat. Good. Awesome. Well, let's get straight on into it. So, Tell me, what led you to becoming a writer and what have you been doing before that kind of led you to here? Gosh, that's a question. Um, look, I've written since I was a child. So I was writing stories when I was about 10 years old. They were published in the Sunday um, newspaper at the time. So I just thought most kids did that, that it was just a normal thing that you write a story, it gets published. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, was, it wasn't until 2003 that I actually had my first book published. So, you know, did my teenage years and my 20s and... Yeah, and then I've been fairly serious about writing ever since. So I've been fortunate to have 19 books published. Woo-hoo. That's so incredible. I love that. I love it. Um, so before we get on to some of your younger fiction sort of stuff, we've got you you have a number of non-fiction books that all seem to hail from oh gosh, from equally hopeful as well as sort of traumatic history. So you've got from love to war. Um, sex to eating disorders, assisted death to culinary quips for cancer patients. I mean, nonfiction work seems to have been somewhat consistent for you over a number of years. Was was that sort of where your kind of literary voice began, so to speak? Well, my very first book was called Unbreakable Spirit, and that was a story of these people and their cancer experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, that came about because I lost my both my parents to cancer at a young age. So oh, I, wow. I'm, like, I'm just a lay person, but I really loved it, you know, um, from about the age of 15. So mm-hmm. you don't expect your parents to die when you're in your early in your 20s. So that um, I ended up doing a lot of volunteer work for hospice. So that's kind mm. of the genesis to that book. So I went along one day and um, my, my job was interviewing people to support with the work that they do. So usually uh-huh. I'd, I'd be sent out to talk to people that are, you know, are patients or caregivers or people that work at hospice. One day they sent me to, uh, out to interview Mitch Album, who's very well known, um, mm-hmm. Tuesday with Mori, author, you know, broadcaster, very famous person. So I went out to interview him and I was really nervous. <laughs> but he was quite interested in my story. You know, he was asking me lots of questions. I told him just a little bit about my mum and dad's story. And he turned around to me and said, girl, you've got a book there. And having a famous author telling you that you've got a book, I thought, oh, maybe I do. I'll, I'll look into this. And that was the genesis to my very first book. Wow. Gosh. The coming from lived experience side of things. Wowee. That's um, that's huge. Eh? Gosh. And I mean, I think I, I, I can imagine that 
I mean, you do say you're just a layman, and I'm using inverted quotations here, but um, coming from such lived experience, I can imagine that with regards to your readership and with your audience, you you must have sort of struck some chords with with people along the way throughout your story. Was that, did that yeah, take place? Uh, yeah, it did. And I, I wasn't writing about myself. I was writing, there was, you know, 25 different stories of various yes. experiences. Yeah. So I very much, I kind of became the go-to girl for anyone that um, was, you know, and someone in their family has cancer, everyone would come and talk to me. So, um, which I was happy well. to do. Um, you know, but, you know, I was, it was in a place that, you know, I had a bit of experience that I could tell people and maybe point them in a slightly different direction as far as their emotional and spiritual needs. You know, mm. you actually get a lot of medical attention, but often you need that emotional support, Yeah, you know, and just being able to talk about it, I think, is really helpful because it's still got that, you know, stigma around it, oh, the big C, Yeah, you know. So, um, but then, of course, I've had my own cancer experience as well. So uh, oh, wow. okay. I write about that in the um, in the new edition of Unbreakable Spirit. So my agent was very keen for me to you know revise it. Mm-hmm. So I redid the book about twelve years later. So I caught up with as many people as I could that were in the original book, which is so amazing. You know, twelve years on to see what they've done with their lives. Some wow. have passed away, and I included my story, which um, I'm a bit of a poster girl. Breast cancer, got it early. I'm, I'm 10 years clear now. I'm all good, you know. So I, everything went as well as it could do. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just a real, and that's, we're only just talking about one of my books there, but yeah. I, I do, I think, probably invest a lot of myself into my books. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, it must it must absolutely show for people in that position, you know. Um, so was there, was there, obviously, you know, you've got, you've got this huge sort of um, body of work that exists in that kind of realm. So in terms of making the shift into children's fiction, was there like, was there a personal instance or an event that occurred that led you into that? Or or was it just like a kind of natural thing that you were like, oh, I think I'll try this now? What was the well, sort of can, journey with that? We as look, there's always some personal connection. There's always a story behind each of my books. Mm. So getting into children's books, I never thought I'd write children's books. Um, yeah. but there was Miller, who's my um husband's granddaughter, who at that stage was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. She can, she loves books and like she would just like like hanging out in my office and of course she can't read any of the books that I've written because they're adult. Yes, <laughs> so she yeah. was saying to me like every time I saw it, when are you going to write a children's book? When are you going to write a children's book? So it was her nagging me that got me to do this. But actually, was kind of a, a, like she was ten, and I thought, well, if I don't do it something soon, I'm going to miss that window. Yes, you know, she'll be a teenager yes. before we know it. Yeah. yeah, so um, I kind of had an, an idea that had been sitting on my computer, as you do as a writer, you know, for yonks, and I, I kind of dusted that off, got her involved because I really wanted to do this with her. Mm-hmm. So it was this fun mm-hmm. family project, and I got her to name some characters and got her as involved as much as you can as a 10-year-old as well, you know, as me writing the book. And mm-hmm. I actually thought it would never be published, you know, we would just write it together and have fun. But then through a series of circumstances, um, which often happens when you work in the creative industry, about two weeks later, after I'd kind of got something ready, um, I had this multi-publishing deal, book publishing deal, and the movie rights were optioned. Yeah. So I'm going, (laughs) what? (laughs) All these happy accidents, eh? It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. So so the books are all set in an imaginary realm in the South Pacific called Elastic Island. Is that well, right? Elastic Island is the vehicle. Is the vehicle, So my children yes. are, are in New Zealand at Browns Bay. There's four of them, and they're on the beach, and they discover this Elastic Island. So this is their um, way that they get from New Zealand 
to a different tropical destination. So every mm-hmm. book's different um, island, a different destination, a different adventure. That's so cool. There's a whole, um, if any of you have ever seen any of the actual books in print, there's a kind of map, I suppose, of the actual world or or of the sort of um, different South Pacific that you've kind of created, right? And some of yeah, them are- it's, it's absolutely. It's very grounded in real life, but it's this imaginary different South Pacific with completely different islands. Yeah, it's still yeah. Like, a, a, like a, you know, you feel like you're on, a, you know, a Rarotonga or Fiji or something when you go to these places. They're very grounded in the South Pacific of where we live. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. So, did you, um, did you do? much by way of your own personal travel to be able to research for some of these islands? Yes, 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 yes. I I love the South Pacific. And in fact, um, we've been to Vanuatu, my husband and I. We loved it so much. We adopted a cat from Vanuatu who ends up in the book. His name's Blong. Is that where Blong came from? Yeah, that's where Blong came from. So my my own cat. And actually, I was really, really reluctant to begin with to write him into the book just because he's a ginger tom. I mean, you look at literature, there's so many ginger toms. And I was like, yeah. oh, my goodness, it's overcrowded, you know. We can't have another ginger cat. But um, Blong is, is such a unique personality. He's so lovable and friendly. And he's just like in the book, except in the book he can do a few more things. But, you know, I've really created my own cat as a character. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, did they, <laughs> I love that. Um, did um, well, I mean, because that was actually one of the questions that I was going to ask later. So there's a there's a whole spin-off series now that's devoted to Blong the Cat. And yes. that's coming out in the works already. Or is there already one that's out that's released? There's that's- one that's out, and there there's is. a whole a whole lot that we're planning. I basically said to my publisher during the COVID period, because I've written a lot of the books, it's like mm-hmm. slow down. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it'll be like you and your profession, like you need to be getting out and doing things to to make this work, to give it the best shot. So I'm just like, no, no, slow down, slow down. <laughs> you know, yeah. so we've been trying to, we've been doing one a year of the main series because all these children keep asking me when the next book's out. You know, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. But the other ones, they're, they're waiting to go, you know. So probably there'll be quite a few that will come out next year, I think. Okay, right. So did you spend um, the sort of better part of, your lockdowns, plural, because we've had a number of them now over the past few years, um, was that sort of a, a really fertile ground for you to to actually nail into a lot of writing? Or did you have the sort of sense like like a lot of fellow writers around the lockdown period where you're kind of going, I should be creating heaps, I've got all this time, but you know, you kind of have varying <laughs> levels of productivity and things like that? What was your experience? It was a productive time because um, a lot of my regular work just disappeared. Yeah, so I, I just had many, many hours to write books, which is with I was in my happy place, you know, especially writing these children's books. You know, being in the Elastic Island world is very warm and friendly, and everything always works out. You know, yeah, so it's a nice way to step out of the current world, which is a bit scary at times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That must be such a blessing with regards to actually working with children's literature in it in in itself. I guess you know. Um, really kind of trying to take these massive real things that we're experiencing and going through and trying to find meaning and message as well as it being an entertaining, um, light, kind of like uplifting experience for for, for that age group of audience, you know? That must be such a a skill. It's been a, well, I don't know about skill, but it's been a real joy for me because I found out that I naturally write for 10-year-olds. Can I have a really different process? You know, when, when I write my nonfiction and my uh, historical novels for adults, it's, it's very research-heavy and, and very considered. Mm. When I write these children's books, um, I, I look, I'm 10 years old again. 
And I kind of write stuff and go, oh, wow, that is so cool. That is so fun. And then I write other things, oh, so boring, so adult, take it out, you know. So I really channel it by me and Miller and all these other children that I get to meet by doing these books. So it's loads of fun. And the other thing I've noticed writing children's books, you get so much feedback from your target audience. They come up to you all the time and they'll tell you what they think, their favourite characters, invariably they they like um, children in the books that are like them. You know, yeah. they'll, they'll come up and tell you their favourites. They'll, t- they'll tell you, look, we want a dinosaur in the next book. They'll tell you what they want as well. Yeah. So I haven't written dinosaurs in yet, but, you know, I've got, I've got a whole list of things that children have asked me for. You know, and that's, yeah. that's the reason we've got a, a dog in the book now who's based on my husband's dog that he had when he was younger. Because all these children keep asking me, well, are you going to have a dog in the book? You've got a cat. Are you going to have a dog? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, he's one of the cool casts now, you know? That's so awesome. I love that. It must be, I mean, in a way, it must be kind of helpful for your own um, idea generation and things, you know, to have such, I mean, kids, we all know whether you're on stage, like, or or whether you're reading to them, whether you're singing to them. Susie would be able to speak probably with a lot more, you know, intelligence on this than either of us, but um, they are so brutally honest, (laughs) you know? I mean, if they hate something, they are right up front telling you that they don't like it or that they are bored. So, in a lot of ways, that could be a bit like, Ugh. but do you find that there's a, like a, somewhat of a freedom within the boundaries of just kind of like coasting with what your audience and with what kids essentially are coming to you with? Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've, I think I've discovered something very accidentally that it's working. Mm. So I'm trying not to overthink it. I'm trying not to analyze it because kids are really enjoying it. I get emails every day from children that are writing to me saying how much they love it. Oh, I'm also getting emails from parents saying, oh, look, my child didn't like reading books and they're reading now because they've read Elastic Island Adventures. Oh. So I just like, oh, that is so special. Like, you know, just when I think, oh, you, you have your days, you know, you're not feeling cre- so creative or whatever, like, why mm. am I doing this? And it's just like, oh, I've got, I've got to write another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so brilliant. Yay. You've got your own little kind of like miniature cheerleading team kind of, you know, forging along from the sidelines. <laughs> don't you find as a creative person, like if you do get that direct feedback from someone that you don't know, you really listen to it, don't you? So it's oh, like absolutely. your friends and family patting you on the back. This is someone you don't know, you've never met, who's giving you some feedback. You know, yeah. so you, when they say something positive, it's like, oh, you've just made my day. I'm going to float around like a theory today, you know? I know, totally. I mean, and even if they just say something full stop, you know, you're kind of like, oh, wow, I have an audience. You know, someone yes. is reading, someone is listening. And even sometimes that alone is enough validation for you to kind of keep on keeping on when when, when stuff does get a bit tricky, you know? Yes, yes, especially as a writer, you know, because it's not like getting up and, um, you know, doing a, a show or something. Mm, you know, so yeah. you think, oh, does anybody read my books? You know, I've got book sales, but do they read them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how how has that been for you in terms of, um, I mean, obviously you have been doing it for, for, for quite a while now and you've been building yourself up over that over years. Um, do you, I mean, how, how how do you sort of deal with that kind of like, you know, oh, I'm a... I'm a writer and my process is very much like an alone one, you know, in terms of actually subbing it all out to the world and actually getting it out and, you know, taking that next step. How, how, how have you kind of navigated that sort of um, weird, slippery, slippery phase, you know? That is so, so interesting because I actually, um, I don't feel alone with my writing. I, I feel it's very collaborative and I've got a whole team of people around me. 
So in our household, like I'm always talking to my husband about Elastic Island, so we have the yeah. craziest conversations. You know, <laughs> I've got Mella, you know, the granddaughter who's very involved and all these other children. But, you know, I've got a publisher, there's a distributor, there's an illustrator, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these people that are involved. So I, I just feel like um, I, and my editor, I love my editor. Like it's just such a positive team around me. Yeah. So I guess I'm um, – I guess I'm in a lucky position where sometimes writers are trying to you know, get their work published. I've got a publisher who's a slave driver and is always, you know, after me for the next mm-hmm. book. But that's actually the best position to be in as a writer, that someone's chasing you for the next book. You know, you've got yeah. deadlines yeah. for things to work to. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, if, if, if nothing else as well, obviously, the publisher is sort of, I mean, A, they're making the active investment in knowing that you've got 12, 15, another 20 perhaps books up your sleeve, which is a which, which is a, a huge sort of um, undertaking for any publisher to actually, you know, bring on authors like with any long-term kind of plan or goal, right? You know, a lot of people sort of maybe have five books in them and then, and then kind of um, struggle to kind of continue on with things, you know? It seems like um, particularly with your crew around you, you've got the sort of perfect recipe to just be completely... Um, you know, consummate for forever and after, really, you know, <laughs> which, is, which like is great. It. I mean, it, it may change. It, it certainly feels like that because I've got so many ideas that are in the pipeline. So I've got yeah. books that are already finished that haven't been published yet, but there's also stuff, you know, that's in the pipeline that's, you know, early ideas. So it's, it's like a bit of a production queue. And it may stop one day, but it feels like it's endless at this point. Yeah. You know, oh, Island, you know, you know, I've already hinted that, you know, my children might go to the Northern Hemisphere. To my yeah. mind, I think well, I could take them back in time. You know, I could do all sorts of things with this series, you know, because I've created boundaries around it, but um, there's not too many boundaries. Yeah, yeah, which is an awesome place to be. Um, <laughs> just jumping jumping back onto your kind of, onto your sort of team, I suppose. So you mentioned that it's a super collaborative pro- um, process, which obviously, I mean, anybody that's been involved in any kind of production of any project, you know, has a has an in-depth understanding of. How did you, how did you go about, um, Meet well, I'll say meeting, but also choosing those people because it's not just a meeting of those serendipitous people, right? You know, I mean, obviously, you would have met loads of publishers, loads of illustrators. How did you discern exactly who you wanted to be able to sort of, you know, jump onto the bandwagon of this of this journey with you? That's a great question. Honestly, if anyone's part of my team and I go into a new project, I always want to take them with me. So I guess nice. a good example is my editor, and um, the first book she edited, edited for me, which I think was The Paris of the East, which is a historical novel. I just mm-hmm. loved working with her, and um, we just get on really well, and she's got such a good eye, and she's got such a lovely way of telling you when you've done something wrong or you've gone off on a wrong tangent. Or yeah. In my case, I'm a very fast writer. I look like I'm possessed when I write. I look like a maniac, um, which means I'm, my, my my first drafts are full of typos, which I can't see. So I, I need an editor that's going to pick up all that stuff, you know, because I'm, I'm not a yeah. slow, laborious writer. I just, it pours out of me, but it means it's a bit of a hot mess to begin with. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Oh, that's yeah. so that, that's so wonderful, though. Is there anything, um, is there anything that you kind of do that sort of helps sort of... Um, sort of generate those kind of creative juices are there do you sort of have have conversations with people and then you kind of lock, lock yourself away in a room type thing or is there anything that you kind of specifically do by way of your process that um, I'm, I'm probably more of a daydreamer 
So I'll be, nice. I'll be the, the girl that I'll be at a dinner with my um, husband and he'll go, you're going off somewhere, haven't you? You know, because I'll get that dreamy look in my eye and it's just something will yeah. pop, pop into my head. So I'm more like that. Um, I think because I'm so time poor, I don't have time to have writer's block. So when I've got a bit of time to write, I just go for it. It's kind yeah. of like it's all inside ready to go. So I often wonder, because, you know, I, I help other authors and I do a few other things. Like if I, if I actually was committed full time to writing, whether it might be quite different, because it's already it's always pent up and ready to go when I do get to a keyboard. Yeah, right. Gosh, wow! You must have like a like an in depth post it note scheme going on in your brain. Honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I, I, I seem to be the one that sort of you know I have endless little bits of paper with random little scrawls on them and things that just end up to finding their way into you know books you know just journals and things like that 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 potentially could end up in something really awesome later on but that sort of you know they kind of are all over the place so um oh, I, I do that too. I've got I envy you and, yeah no, look, I'm not I'm, I'm not very ordered at all but it seems to work now I have to say like writing the children's books is very different from writing historical fiction or writing the non-fiction mm. so I've got quite different processes around all of them yeah yeah but, I bet um so Elastic Island's a lot of talking with my husband. That seems to get it all working in my head. And I think because I've got this core um, core characters and set up, mm. they're kind of all ready to go when I decide to take them somewhere. And it's like, okay, yeah. here we go. Here we go, kids, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, it's almost like, I don't know, imagine like an episode of Friends. So you put your characters into a certain situation. They've got to act in, in the way that the characters are acting. Yes. Otherwise, yeah. my, you know, children reading the book would be very upset. So, you know, they're very, um, the characters are very well formed now. And I really feel like I know them. Yeah. Well, that yeah, was another question. Not, makes you sound like a crazy person, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> Hardly. Not. <laughs> you made them, for goodness sake. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask that, though, as well. Um, did they? Did they come... Like did did because 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 it's based around four four key children from Browns Bay, yeah. So there's there's yeah. um a young boy, a young girl, and two twins. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Two yes. boys, two girls. Yeah, two boys, two so girls. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so how did they Harry, come about? Um, like I suppose the girls are kind of like a little bit based on me, but kind of very split personality. If that makes sense. Yeah. So Carrie is um she's outgoing. I'm not, but she loves singing. She loves swimming. So they're all things that I love. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of way more outspoken and more courageous than I am. Then we've okay. got Emma, who's very much like me, kind of dreamy and booky and, and more shy. And so I'm very much like her too. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of easy for me to write my my um, girl characters. Mm-hmm. But then we've got the boy characters. So I've got um, Jed, who's really, um, he's, he's real leadership material and he's very sporty. And he's mm-hmm. a really polite, nice boy, you know, so I, I love the fact that he's well-managed, you know, he's nice. a nice boy. Yeah. And then we've got Ethan, who's arguably the most painful of my characters. He's really intelligent and scientific and geeky. And a lot of people can relate to that. And he adds a bit of drama because him and Kerry are always squabbling. You know, he's the twin brother of Emma. You know, so the dynamics uh-huh. between the group are quite interesting too. You know, they the way they react with each other. Yes. Nice. Uh, so it's almost almost like a like a um I don't know, you could have almost seen sort of any kind of interaction between kids of that age group at any bus stop or any pedestrian crossing or even just hanging out with their mates outside their school oh, or something, absolutely. you know, and you could, you could pick little isms from so many little kind of personalities that just rock around that sort of environment. Eh? Absolutely. 
That's and so just, great. I'm saying, a lot of the girls kind of like um, it's child romance, like it's not anything weird. Yeah. But it's yeah. just that, you know, like little teasy thing that, you know, kids do and sometimes they've got a slight crush on each other. Like there's a yeah. little bit of that that happens, pops its head up occasionally. Yeah. So very, very age appropriate. And you can see it playing out all the time when you watch kids interact. Absolutely. I know. Yeah. I know. They just, they kind of hunt for that drama in a lot of ways. So, <laughs> You know, it's kind of like, oh well, this drama doesn't exist in our real lives, so let's put it into into our fake reality and let's have a little <laughs> yeah. have our little play along. Yeah, oh bless, I love it. Um, there's also a, a sort of somewhat of a environmentalist slash ecologist, I could even say, in you, um, in the sense that you seem to, well, a you have sort of you know set each of these stories on a different. Um, tropical kind of island that is the, that is quite obviously a cousin island to us sort of down here, down yeah. down below. Um, you, you, you also include an interesting or rare animal in each of your stories. So tell us what yes. made you what, what, what kind of introduced that as a, as a little motif or as a choice? I don't know. I don't know where the idea. Like I have loads of ideas, but I just thought this is really cool if I've got one real life creature in each book. Yes. So they get to, again. So I guess it's that. I mean, my books are fantastical, but they're very grounded, and I yes. I like they have that blend. So we're not pure fantasy with these books. They're ordinary kids. They don't have superhero powers. They're in a, a regular place, even though you know yeah. animals talk. But of course, in yes. literature, we use animals talking. And if you've got pets, you feel like they talk to you, you know, when they meow and bark. So you know that's yeah. well established yeah. in literature. And I just thought, um, there's so many like quirky animals around the world. Yeah. So I've actually got a like a portfolio of all these crazy animals that I'd like to introduce in the future books. Um, so most of these, uh, my husband and I have kind of encountered on our travels, which is kind of cool too. So an example would be Mrs. Cocker. So yes. we had a month in Australia, and my sister lives in Perth, and Rotneyst Island outside of Perth. It's populated with all these cockers, which are endangered species. They're the cutest thing ever. So they're little marsupials. They're about the size of a cat, and they're very tame on Rotneyst Island. So I was quite jealous of my husband because he got all these selfie, cool selfie photos with the cockers. I don't know, but he did. Um, and they're just incredibly cute. And we, this is mad, isn't it? But we ended up buying a stuffed toy, a stuffed quokka. And this quokka travelled us around Australia with us for a month. And my husband made up this cute little voice to go with the quokka. I think at that stage we were really missing Blong, our cat, who was back yeah. in the category. Yeah. So um, he kind of helped me create this character because she's kind of this matriarch who's staunch and quite nutty. But, yeah. you know, she loves her family. But she'll be charging ahead before anybody else. Um, so she's – with my husband's help, we created this really quirky, lovable cat character. So um, the process is kind of fun. So I think if you write children's book, travel with stuffed animals, it's a great way to develop characters. Yeah, gosh, that's a brilliant piece of advice. There's the um, what was the other one that um, Bilby? Is that another uh, Australian? Yes, yes, yes. yes. So I've, I've got that's in book five, the Kingdom five. of Blong. So the Bilbies are endangered by um, when Blong seems to go feral, and he's king of the, the king in the kingdom, and he wants yeah. to put the Bilbies back on the dinner menu. So um, <laughs> are they actually an endangered species there? Are they? Yeah, they are. And they they're, are, yeah. they're animals that burrow and they'll have multiple burrows. So I kind of took that fact and had them kind of like um, they could be block contestants. They're always renovating their little burrows and they've got many of them. And they don't want to leave because they've invested so much into their homes. So you see, well, I've taken something that's a real life fact, but I've kind of humanized it, you know, to yeah. um, make it work in the story. Oh, that's so lovely. It's so, yeah, I think um, particularly for, I mean, I'm I'm half Australian. So we kind of grew up with, 
part Kiwi, part Aussie literature, but um, just the sort of presence of kookaburras and um, the sort of real um, inclusion in a really in a really loving and caring way of those sort of quirky kind of animals that may be a little bit misunderstood as well. I really, you know, I do have to take my hat off to a lot of, um, to to pretty much every single children's author, to be honest, because in some way or other, there generally is a a wider or a deeper kind of meaning or message that with 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 the inclusion of any of these these animals as characters, you do develop a real compassion for them. And I have to say that has lived with me. I mean, I'm 33 now and I probably remember a lot of these stories from when I was under the age of 10, you know, but those those th- those sorts of messages, they they do have an an immensely powerful way of 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 sticking with you, particularly yes. if you do learn about them in that, you know, sort of under the age of 10 kind of bracket, you know. Yeah, um, and I, I think I, I'm pleased you picked up on that because my books aren't worthy. They're, they're fun and entertaining, but they're about the natural world. Like I don't have kids with cell phones and computers and technology is not in my books at all. Yeah. You know, and even the Elastic Island, it's more kind of a steampunk kind of um, philosophy behind it, you know, like yeah. an alternative, um, you know, power source and stuff. Yes. So, yeah, it's not like a magical thing. There's like kind of like alternative, um, you know, technology behind that. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, um, the books are all about creativity, encouraging that in children and literacy. Yes. So my books, I don't dumb down, down the language at all, but I try to make it so much fun that the kids are turning the pages because they want to find out what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. A brilliant, brilliant skill and a very, you know, it's almost, it's almost like you're kind of, secretly giving them learning without them knowing it's brilliant that's what I mean to do yeah, yeah so you know if you're after something really worthy my books aren't right but you're after something that's going to sneak be sneakily getting kids to learn about all sorts of things my books are perfect yeah oh, I love it um so jumping ahead to what's coming up as well so if we didn't have enough animals like you said earlier fuzzy duckling media currently have elastic island books optioned for those that uh, unaware of what optioned means it's basically um a, a a production company that's tabling your project for potential production um so uh, were were they hoping to make that into a series into like a tv series or into like a film for each book do you so um what they're going to do hopefully is do a movie for each book and the cool. spin-off series are going to be tv series but honestly, um, like they, they put a lot of work into this and money. Um, but I don't know whether you ever watched the Graham Norton show, and invariably they've got some really famous actor, and he goes, "Oh, this this project was twelve years in development." And at that point, I'm going, "No." Yeah. <laughs> so you know, um, for me, it's still all about the books. And I would love if movies and TV series get made, but it's, it's all about the books to me. So yeah. we'll just see. Oh, that's great. The only thing that you need is the right producer or anyone from Fuzzy Duckling, obviously, having it, you know, picking it up and just going, hang on, I can see this up on a screen. Yep, perfect. Yeah, look, it's like they're pitching to all the big studios and people like it. It's just getting the people to invest in it, you know, and it's a lot of money. So that's, you'll know from your profession how it works more than I do. It's always money. It's always money. Um, Right. Well, we've just got a couple more questions for you. I'm mindful of our time. Um, I was just going to sort of, uh, sort of extend, I suppose, on on some of our stuff that we were already talking about. So there's um there's a show that I love called Black Books, which is no longer running. And there's a really famous episode. I don't know if you ever watched it, um, but it was about a a, a bookshop, um, with two comedians, Dylan Moran and Bill Bailey. And in one famous episode, they attempt to write a children's book, saying, and I quote, "How hard can it be?" So, <laughs> um, so following along with that, um, how how do you kind of um 
how do you sort of define the kind of messaging and stuff like that that you're actually wanting to include in your stories? And do you find it more difficult actually to write for children as an audience than for adults? Um, I don't find the Elastic Island Adventures books difficult. As I said, I've, I've naturally found I naturally write for this age group, but I do yeah. find the um, picture books incredibly hard. So oh, the okay. Cat's Costume Caper, which is the first kind of spin-off of the books, I actually tried and tried and tried to write a really good picture book. Yes. And I just I just couldn't do it. I just keep, um, you know, I read a lot of books. I work in the publishing industry. And every time I came up with an idea and I try to write it out, I go, oh, that's rubbish. It's terrible. So I actually had a meeting with my publisher and I was going to have to tell her that I can't do it. You know, I'm a novelist, not a, a short form writer. Mm. But the very next morning, thank goodness for my subconscious brain, I woke up and I had a fully formed idea that was good. And nice. I knew it was good. And, and since then, it's like uh, now I can write those books. But before I had this huge block and I just couldn't write them. Yeah. Wow, gosh. Just that moment of clarity, eh? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just and just knowing that it works, you know, because you know when it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Don't you just. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so, um, what, so what's been your experience with... Um, with like publishers and sales and that nitty gritty boring bollocks business side of the whole literary world. I mean, obviously we know that the 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 creativity and the actual creation of the of the book itself is is one would hope relatively fun. Um, but when it's come to when it comes, sorry, to, to to sort of navigating that whole kind of business side of things, how's that how's that gone for you? I've just been so fortunate. Um, my very first publisher was Ten Press, amazing publishers. I had the best mm. experience with Unbreakable Spirit. From there, I'm Random House for publishing my book. So I'm published by a lot of different publishers. Cool. I've also done a little bit of self-publishing. So um, I just, all my publishers have done such a good job. Like, for yeah. example, I've got Beatnik Publishers who do the most beautiful, beautiful books. I love did my book. Oh. oh, I do too. And they did yeah. my book, Everyday Strength. And it's published in New Zealand, Australia, the UK. There's a German edition. Again, this is one of my two cancer books. Um, the yes. Look Good Feel Better Charities picked it up as part of their workshops. Cool. So it's just like it's, it was even more than what you could ever hope for as an author. So I'm I'm just so blessed. Yeah, you know that's great. Um, so I'm, I just feel incredibly grateful and lucky. Oh, I'm glad we all are as well by proxy. <laughs> right. So, just a couple of final kind of questions. So what what so was it was it different in terms of engaging with the audiobook process to the normal sort of just publishing a book process? How was that for you? Because this is your first audiobook, eh? Isn't it the one that yes, Susie's got? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So it's like been incredibly exciting because I, I know I knew nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, yeah and again, like I'm so fortunate because um, Susie Cato actually um, read a bit of um, Rainbow Cove for the Elastic Island series um, mm -hmm. late last year on her YouTube channel. And my publisher and I have been thinking, wouldn't it be nice to have audiobooks? And after her doing my reading, I mean, we know she's good anyway, but it just really. Um, we were like, we, we want you. This is so brilliant. Like, if we ask you, maybe she'll do it. So yeah. she said, yes, so I'm grateful. And you know, she's obviously done Flip Flop Bay, which is the latest book. But, of course, all the books are standalone, so it doesn't actually matter which one we start with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's been really interesting because I did go into the studio for a little bit while she was, you know, doing the recording. And it's just like, oh, it's just so exciting to see the process and how it all works. Yeah. 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 So, oh, um, yay. And, you know, you're an audiobook narrator and, like, honestly, you just bring so much to the books, you know, for the authors, but with the work that you do. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. We love doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, I mean, like, I, I could narrate the book myself, but I just think having someone who's a professional just takes it to that next level and really gets um, people engaged in the story in a different way. 
Yeah, no, I hear that. I hear that. Well, speaking of, what is your earliest memory of an audiobook or of oral storytelling, I'll say, because audiobooks weren't sort of necessarily a huge thing earlier on, but <laughs> do you have a first well, recollection? I do, actually, but this is probably like revealing my age now. I remember these little um, records that my parents used to put on with little books that went with them. So you yes. play the little record <laughs> and you would read along. <laughs> so a great way to listen and learn how to read. Yeah, I yes. love them. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Um, do you have? Do you happen to have a favourite audiobook of your own that you're listening to at all or that you have listened to that you really enjoyed? Um, I don't. Well, I have to say Flip Flop Bay, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't at the moment. No, that's that's kind of put me, putting me on the spot with that question. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, but Flip Flop Bay, and we'll all be looking out for it. When I heard Susie, like, you know, the, got the files through and had a listen, it's like, oh, she's done such a good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So, Two final ones. What what advice would you give to young emerging authors, or actually for 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 authors that are interested in particularly for writing for the child for, for the children's audience? Is there anything that so you could pass any, on? Pearls so of wisdom. Any author, first tip is make sure you read a lot. Sometimes I meet people that want to write books but they don't read. That doesn't work. Oh, so, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just wow. make sure you're reading a lot. And I'm not talking like a book a year. I'm talking 50 books a year. Just make sure you read a lot. Yeah. If you're going to um, like write a children's book or a crime novel or a romance, you maybe just need to go and read a lot in that genre before you start writing. Yeah. It's really going to help you. Yeah. yeah and and um, when you write, just write. Don't try to edit and write. Just yes. let it all pour out. That's, that's where editors come in. Also, nobody ever writes a book in a first draft, you know. Um, mm. Like, I tend to be three or four drafts. I know some authors who write crime might be 30 drafts, you know. So just just the first draft, don't worry if it's not right because no one gets it right on the first draft, you know. Rewriting is, is writing at the end yeah. of the day. I love that. Rewriting is writing. Ain't that the truth? Oh, that's awesome. Um, so finally, where can people find your work or where can people contact you if they're interested to um, to get to know more about you or to become involved somehow in what it is you're doing? Probably the easiest thing is just to go to my website, karenm.co.nz. So all the info is there. You can write to me. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest place to direct people to. Lovely. Well, I will have that. Um, I will have that a, a big old link to that website in our show notes. And um, one little thing that is on this website that isn't on a lot of authors' websites, I might say, um, is that uh, Karen also runs a monthly competition to win one of three of her Elastic Island books. So do check that out. There were a couple of other competitions, I believe, with um, kids that could have their names actually, you know, written in as a character yeah. in the book, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah that was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. So that's, also, yeah and, and it was really nice, the children that won the competitions. Honestly, they were so excited and I feel like I've enriched their lives in a little way. Oh, I'm so, so happy. I'm yeah. stoked for that. That's great. <laughs> well, thank you so very much for your time, Karen. And we will have your episode up ASAP. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Romy Hooper. You've been listening to Sound Salad for all things spoken and all things heard. To hear more Sound Salad episodes, go to www.soundsalad.co.nz. This has been brought to you by my gold sponsor, Audiobooks NZ. Check out their library at www.audiobooksnz.co.nz. We hope that you will have a pleasant journey, and if we can add to your comfort in any way, please do not hesitate to press the call bell.